Wednesday, January 2nd, 2013, episode number 31 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Episode number 31 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, on this Wednesday, January 2nd, 2013. Hopefully you all enjoyed your New Year's, hopefully you all enjoyed your holiday season, and most importantly, hopefully you all survived the week last week, as we were on our one-week holiday holiday hiatus. We are back this week here, the first week of 2013, helping you get through and survive the treacherous three-day work week, what should also get you through this week and getting back to reality after the holiday season is the fact that we have NFL wildcard weekend on the horizon, four great playoff games coming up this weekend, we'll preview them and the key components in each game coming up momentarily in the first down segment, you don't want to miss that, then in the second down segment, we take a look at the other big NFL story of the week, the off-field story. The NFL coaching carousel, seven coaches were fired on Black Monday. The NFL Network ran an all-day special on New Year's Eve covering the coaching changes and firings around the league. Five general managers were fired as well. It's a little perverse to run a special on men losing their jobs, but eh, let's not let morals get in the way. I was captivated by it, as I'm sure you were as well. So we'll talk about the coaching changes in the second down segment Third down segment, as always, it's the big up slowdown segment, looking at the Dallas Cowboys and changes they may make or should make at head coach and quarterback coming up for 2013. The Giants, the Jets get a lot of pub in New York for their disappointing season, but the Giants won't defend their Super Bowl championship. They missed out on the playoffs this year. How disappointing was the season for the G-Men? We'll talk about that. And then, of course, we wrap up the show with the Reamer rant. This week, our topic is owners who get too involved in football operations. Kansas City Chiefs owner Clark Hunt said this week that he will take a more active role in the day-to-day operations of the organization. The Chiefs, of course, need a lot of things coming off of, uh, what was it, a two-win season. Uh, But Clark Hunt getting more involved in the football operations? Mm, Not one of the things they need. So we'll talk a little about that, too. It's Football Nation Today, Episode 31. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back with our Wild Card Weekend Preview. So, as I said at the top, this is one of the great sports weekends of the year, Wild Card Weekend. Another great one is the Divisional Round, which is next week, of course. Four spectacular games there, too. I love March Madness. The first weekend of March Madness is great. I'm a baseball junkie, of course. Host the Red Sox podcast without a curse. That's a nice way to get some self-promotion in there, right? But, uh, you know, I think the first weekend of the divisional series in the baseball playoffs is great. But the wild card weekend remains one of the best sports weekends of the year. Two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Uh, let's start off with the AFC, then we'll move to the NFC. For those who care, I think the NFC has the better matchups this weekend. The Packers-Vikings rematch I love. Uh, And then, of course, Seahawks at Redskins, that 4.30 start on Sunday. 
Should be a spectacular game. Two rookie quarterbacks, Robert Griffin III, Russell Wilson going at it, and three rookie quarterbacks in this playoff, Andrew Luck in the culture there as well. And it's amazing, you know, you got three rookie quarterbacks in the playoffs, and guys like Eli Manning, Tony Romo, Phillip Rivers, Jay Cutler, all out of the postseason. Funny year in the NFL. Uh, if you look at the buys in the AFC, the Broncos, the number one seed, the Patriots are the number two seed after the Houston Texans, of course, lost to the Colts last weekend. Uh, they lost three of their final four games. Don't worry, we'll talk about the Texans' collapse when we preview their matchup against the Bengals. But first, going over the two teams with the buys, the Broncos and Patriots. Uh, the Broncos have won 11 consecutive games. The last time they lost, actually, was October the 7th at New England. The Denver Broncos of today are a completely different team than the Denver Broncos of September and early October. I think that much is for certain. Um, you look at their schedule, though. In this 11-game winning streak, if we're going to be objective about it, they really haven't beaten anybody. I mean, they've beaten the Chargers, the Saints, Bengals, playoff team, but that's the only playoff team they've beaten. Uh, Panthers, Chargers again, Chiefs, Buccaneers, Raiders, Ravens are the other playoff team, but at the time, the Ravens weren't playing like one. The Browns and the Chiefs again. So... You know, the only two teams they beat were also playoff teams, Bengals and Ravens, and then a bunch of crap. You know, Chargers twice, Chiefs twice, Browns, Buccaneers, Panthers, Raiders, ugh. Terrible. Awful, awful schedule. But, I'm not sure how much stock we can take into that, because if you remember, last year, the Patriots played a similarly weak schedule and wound up making the Super Bowl, and almost won the Super Bowl. The Giants didn't have that second-half comeback. So, you know, I'm not sure how much stock we can take into the weak Broncos schedule, but it's there. They have not really beaten anybody of note in this 11-game win streak. Um, but they, to me right now, are the number one seed in the AFC, and thus have to be considered the favorite in the AFC because they'll have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, the defense is much improved Elvis Dumerville, Von Miller, Champ Bailey is a legitimate shutdown cornerback. But I also look at what the secondary players on the defense have done. You know, other guys in the secondary, guys like Tony Carter, have stepped up and really improved their games in the second half of the season. And the biggest thing for that defense, we said it all along, is that now they are finally playing with a lead. They were a mediocre defense last season with Tim Tebow at quarterback because the Broncos seldom played with a lead. Now with Manning, they play with leads. They can rush the quarterback, defend the pass, do what they do best. Um, and Manning, to me, is dialed in on all cylinders. Um, he's just he's working exceptionally with that offense. Willis McGahee is out. No, Sean Moreno's the running back. But you don't really notice it. You know, they still run the ball effectively when they have to. But most importantly, Peyton Manning, Eric Decker, Demarius Thomas uh, all have sensational chemistry with each other. Uh, the Broncos have come on strong here, obviously, the 11-game win streak. And to me, right now, since they'll have home field throughout, they have to be considered the favorites in the AFC. Uh, the Patriots are the number two seed in the AFC, benefiting from the Texans' collapse. Um, they really needed a buy. In fact, I think the Patriots needed a buy more than any other team in the league uh, because they're so beat up. You know, I mean, injuries with the Patriots is becoming a big thing here. You know, Rob Gronkowski was essentially playing with one arm last week. 
Uh, Logan Mankins and Sebastian Vollmer on the offensive line are really beat up. Uh, Aaron Hernandez is beat up as well. And on defense, they need a lot of rest too. Defensive end Rob Ninkovich exited the game against Miami last Sunday with an injury. He'll obviously benefit from the week of rest. Um, the biggest thing with that defense, arguably, are the two cornerbacks, Akib Tlaib and Alfonso Dennard. Both of them have been out with injuries over the past couple weeks. And, you know, that Patriots secondary really hurts when those two are out because what happens is when Tlaib and Dennard are out, they have to shift personnel. Devin McCourty has to move from safety back to cornerback. And McCourty, of course, struggles at corner. He's a much better safety. Kyle Arrington has to move from nickel corner back to outside corner, where he struggles in man-to-man coverage. Patrick Chung has to take regular reps at safety, and Chung really struggles to defend the pass. So when Tlaib and Dennard are out of the lineup, that Patriots secondary is in flux. Once Tlaib was acquired, once the rookie Dennard was able to slide into a starting role, uh, you saw a lot of stability come to that secondary. When those guys aren't playing, that secondary still struggles. So to me, the Patriots really needed a buy. They need to get healthy on defense. And on offense, need to get healthy too. You know, I mean, Hernandez is banged up. Gronkowski, again, was playing with one arm last week against the Dolphins. The offensive line has been banked up, too, and they've struggled a little bit over the past couple of weeks. So I think the Patriots really, really will benefit from that one week of rest. And, you know, you know, you listen to the show this season. I think the bye is a big deal because, hey, when you get a week off, you might as well take it. And the Patriots, with their injury situation, certainly are grateful that they have the bye this upcoming weekend. So how about the teams that are playing in the AFC? Well, let's start off with the game, the 4.30 start on Saturday, Bengals at Texans, a repeat of last year's wildcard matchup, except this year will be Matt Schaub under center for Houston instead of TJ Yates. Uh, The Bengals come into the playoffs riding momentum. They have won seven of their last eight games. They were three and five at one point in the season. And this win streak has brought them to the postseason. They've beaten both the Steelers and Ravens in this stretch as well. So the monkey has seemed to have gotten off of Cincinnati's back there. They can beat the uh, traditionally, uh, the traditionally, excuse me, upper echelon teams in the division. And oh yeah, I forgot, Big Ben Roethlisberger, not in the playoffs either with those three rookie quarterbacks there. Um, but you look at the Bengals, they play a good physical uh, defensive brand of football. They've accumulated 51 sacks this season. Geno Atkins has 12 and a half sacks. Michael Johnson has 11 and a half sacks. Those guys have been very good up front, very difficult to contend with. Um, the Bengals, to me, are playing really well. They've won seven of their last eight games. Andy Dalton has that playoff experience since this is his second consecutive year in the postseason. Um, I really like where the Bengals are heading into the postseason. I especially like them in this game because of where the Texans are. And that's the big story here. Uh, They are imploding. And they've been imploding for the past month and a half. You go back to Thanksgiving, uh, they barely beat the Jaguars. Then they barely beat the Lions on Thanksgiving Day. They get crushed by the Patriots in that Monday night game at New England. They then beat Indianapolis. um, They then beat Indianapolis in Houston. But then they lose two straight to close the year. They lose to Minnesota, only score six points in that game two weeks ago, and then lose to the Colts last week as well. As I mentioned at the top, they've lost three of their last four games. And, you know, look at the Texans team. Their their defense is once again really bad. I mean, Wade Phillips came in as defensive coordinator, really fixed up that pass defense. 
but it's really regressed over the past couple weeks, even with Jonathan Joseph back in the lineup at cornerback. Uh, I look at the third and 23 play they gave up to T.Y. Hilton last Sunday. Third and 23! And Hilton just runs up the middle of the field. No one's covering him. Luck finds him. It's a long touchdown. Puts the Colts on top for good. I mean, come on. As a defense, how can you allow that on third and 23? And I know the Colts didn't have anything to play for in Sunday's game from, you know, a playoff seating perspective. But they had the momentum on their side. Of course, they had the return of head coach Chuck Pagano. So... Technically, the Colts didn't have anything to play for, but, you know, emotionally, intangibly, they had a lot to play for. I get that. And they're a young team as well. Don't know when to stop. Going to play hard the full 60 minutes. They've done that all season long. Uh, but the Texans, I mean, they should have approached that game like a playoff game. Because the difference between a first-round bye and having to play wildcard weekend, to me, is astronomical. And the Texans now, due to their collapse at the end of the season, have to play on Saturday. Uh, they're getting Brooks Reed back at linebacker, so maybe that'll help a little bit. But the defense has been giving up really big plays over the past month. They surrendered 30-plus points to both Jacksonville and Detroit, 40-plus points to the Patriots. I mentioned how the Colts beat them up in that game, especially in the second half last week. I mean, third and 23. How do you allow that not to just be converted, but to go for a touchdown? I mean, come on. The one thing you're supposed to guard there is the big play, and Hilton ran right up the seam untouched um and to go along with the defensive struggles the offense is struggling too matt schaub has only thrown three touchdown passes in his last five games it's becoming more apparent this is not the dynamic offense many including myself thought it was this is at its core it seems like a more conservative attack based around darian foster who's a terrific running back but the passing game is rather unimaginative. They do screens to foster, short little routes, but they don't, they don't mix it up enough. It's a, it, it seems to me, at least, to be a more conservative offense. When things get tough, the Texans play more conservatively. They don't take chances. And that, I think, hurts them. And, you know, Gary Kubiak is a guy who, you know, to me, he is the quintessential example as one of these coordinator-type head coaches who doesn't seem to adjust his game plan. You know, he doesn't really react to the present. Or if he does, he just dials everything back and plays it real conservatively, which, of course, is not the way to win in a high level at, in this league. Uh, you know, the world could be collapsing around him, and all he does is stare at his laminated play sheet. Really, I mean, there could be fires, and, I mean, the hell could be breaking loose around him. Things exploding, and he's staring, looking at his laminated play sheet. Not reacting to anything. So, not impressed with Gary Kubiak and the way the Texans have closed out the season here. Has to be a big disappointment to them. I have a lot of questions about Schaub. I have a lot of questions about that offense. I have a lot of questions about that defense, obviously. The Bengals are going one way. The Texans are going the other way. I know the game is at Houston, but I don't know. One year of playoff experience under Cincinnati's belt. A.J. Green should light up that Houston secondary. I think I like Cincinnati in this game. I do. The Texans have certainly not impressed me, and they haven't impressed anybody with the way they failed to close out this season. Then we go, to, and you know, another last thing about the Texans. I don't want to read too much into this since it was just one game, but that Monday night game against New England, too, that quitting them. 
in the second half in that game, didn't even want to be on the field. And that, to me, t says a lot about their character, or lack thereof as well. Uh, but moving on here quickly to the Colts and the Ravens. Colts at Ravens on Sunday. The Ravens have not played good football for a month and a half. I mean, I have criticized the Ravens time and time again on this program. Uh, their defense continues to be beat up. All of Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, and Haloti Nada didn't play last Sunday against the Bengals. Granted, the Ravens didn't really play any of their starters, but still, that defense has been beat up all season, with Darius Webb still out, obviously. Um, Jimmy Smith's missed some time at corner two. Uh, that defense is really beat up. But still, the more I think about it, the Ravens are at home. They're a really tough team to be at beat at home. I think I'm leaning Baltimore in this game because, look, you won't find a bigger Andrew Luck fanboy than I. I think Andrew Luck is going to be the next great thing in this league. I, I love the way he leads his team. I love the way job he's done this season. I love just about everything about him as a quarterback. But I'm not sure if Luck has figured out how to win on the road yet at this stage in his career. Uh, the Colts went 7-1 and at home this season. And that's where they had a lot of their marquee wins. You know, the second half comeback against the Packers. The uh, comeback against the Titans. The win against the Texans last week. Colts are 7-1 at home. They're a more pedestrian 5-4 and four on the road. And, you know, they got blown out at New England in November. They got blown out at the Jets in Week 6, which looks like a terrible loss now. They lost to Houston on the road just a couple of weeks ago with the way the Texans have been struggling. I'm not sure how good a loss that is. I love the Colts. I love the story. I love the team. I love luck. And I think they're going to be a force to contend with for years to come. But I think they're still a year away from really making noise in the playoffs because I just don't know if they figured out how to win on the road. Also, expect a lot of Ray Rice in this game. The Colts have the league's 29th ranked rush defense. Of course, with Robert Matheson, Dwight Freeney, Fonte Davis has played well. They're pretty good against the pass, as Chauvin, the Texans learned last week, the two interceptions he threw, but struggle against the run. One of the worst defenses in the league against the run. I expect a lot of rice in this game. I'm not a big Ravens guy. You know, I mean, you know that. I think the Ravens have really struggled here over the past month and a half. I wouldn't expect Baltimore to win their divisional round game. And they could lose this game. They very well could. It's the Ravens, after all, and Joe Flacco. But... I'm not sure if the Colts can win on the road in an environment like they will face against Baltimore. That's still a really young team, but a terrific story, of course, and I'm looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. Moving on over to the NFC, you have the two bye teams, the Falcons and the 49ers. Uh, both, you know, deserved their buys. They both earned their buys. The Falcons, from start to finish, were the best team in the NFC this season, the most consistent team in the league. They finished 13-3. and their performance in Week 17 is concerning to me. I mean, they played their starters and still lost to the Buccaneers, a team that seemed to check out a couple of weeks ago under Greg Schiano. Uh, Dante Robinson, cornerback, suffered a concussion in Week 17 too. So the Falcons are a team that's thankful they have a bye week to rest up. And you know, Mike Smith said we're going to play the game the way it's supposed to be played. And what happens? Not only do you lose while playing all your starters, but you lose one of your star corners, Dante Robinson, as well. Um, the 49ers have a bye. And during their bye week, what are they doing? They're bringing in kickers to compete with David Akers, who has struggled this season. They're bringing in Billy Cundiff. What could ever go wrong with him? Um, and, you know, we don't talk about kickers too much during the regular season. 
Because if a game's going to come down to a field goal, you could often say, well, you know, it shouldn't have to come to that. You know, I mean, you can always point to their plays in the game. But in the playoffs, as we know, I mean, special teams, field goal, kicker, I mean, that's a really big deal. And to me, if I'm a Niners fan, uh, that's actually a pretty big concern of mine. The fact that the 49ers don't have a kicking game they can trust because they're built to play a lot of close games. And then a lot of close games in the playoffs, what does it come down to? It comes down to the special teams. comes down to the kicker. And the Niners don't have that kicker right now. I mean, they're bringing Billy Kunder, for God's sakes, during their bye week before the divisional round. So that actually, to me, is a pretty big concern for them. Um, and, you know, with the way Seattle dismantled them two weeks ago shows that the 49ers may not unequivocally be the best team in the NFC West right now. I still think they have a terrific defense. You know, my feelings on Colin Kaepernick, how much I love that decision by Jim Harbaugh to go for Kaepernick over Alex Smith. Um, not off the Niners bandwagon yet, but there would be a couple of small things to concern me uh, during the spy week if I were a Niners fan. Moving on to the wildcard matchups in the NFC, we have that rematch, Vikings at Packers. Adrian Peterson, you know by now, fell nine yards short of Eric Dick fell nine yards short, excuse me, of Eric Dickerson's rushing record last Sunday, but he played a sensational game. I mean, the most amazing thing to me about Peterson is that the opposing defenses know he's going to run. They know that's the game plan, and yet they still can't stop it. Uh the that last long run Peterson had in the fourth quarter on Sunday, get that first down, which set up the Blair Walsh field goal, uh, to me was a thing of beauty, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, the Packers knew, everyone knew they were giving the ball to, ball to Peterson there to get into field goal territory, and he still was able to bust through for the first down. Uh, one of my favorite stats to come out of this season is Peterson has averaged more yards per run this year than Christian Ponder has averaged per throw. I mean, that is just incredible. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this show debating NFL MVP, but if I had to pick one between Peterson, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady, uh, look, no disrespect to Manning and Brady and how great they are, I would really lean towards Peterson because, I mean, look at where that team would be without him. They would be, they'd be right there with Jacksonville, Kansas City, quite frankly, 2-14, and 3-13, and 4-12, and 12. I mean, they would be a wretched team without Peterson. They improved from 3-13 and 13 last season, and they were had that record last year because Peterson wasn't healthy. And Peterson comes back healthy one year after his ACL surgery. And the Vikings are 10-6 and six in the playoffs as the final NFC wildcard. Uh, to me, just a terrific team, a terrific story. Um, however, I think it comes to an end on Sunday. The Packers will have Charles Woodson back for that game. Clay Matthews is back as well. The Green Bay secondary really struggled last Sunday against the Vikings. Uh, you know, I look at... Christian Ponder made some good throws late, but I look at the touchdown he threw to Michael Jenkins in the fourth quarter, uh, M.D. Jennings should have intercepted that ball. I mean, that was a lollipop in the end zone. It went right through Jennings' arms and found Jenkins behind him. Uh, to me, Ponder made some big plays, but really, the Packers' secondary just did a horrible job of covering in that game. And maybe it was because they were so prepared for Peterson, they didn't pay much attention to the passing game, but... This is now their second consecutive week playing the Vikings. You know they won't make that same mistake twice. And I put a lot into Aaron Rodgers. I do. He's one of the best quarterbacks in this game. And I just don't see Rodgers bowing out in the first round. I just don't see it. Um, I think the Packers are the better all-around team than the Vikings. And at home, remember this was played at Lambeau this week. If they get up early, I think it's over. Because Peterson is... 
as dynamic a running back as there can be. But when you're down a couple of scores, running the football, no matter who you have running the ball, is not the best way to make up ground. We all know that. So if the Packers get up early, force Ponder to throw more, it's over. Um, the key for the Vikings is if they can score first, obviously, and then that would allow them to dictate the pace of play a little bit. But also on defense, can they get to Aaron Rodgers? I mean, that Packers offensive line has struggled a little bit this season. They've had their ups and downs. You know, Jared Allen, Everson Griffin, can that Minnesota pass rush, which, you know, can be pretty good, can they get to Rodgers and really force the issue there on defense? That's another key for Minnesota to make this a game. But I don't know. I just I just don't bet against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the playoffs, especially wildcard weekend. They got their defense back, too. Uh, I think Green Bay wins that game. To me, though, the best match for the entire weekend is a 4.30 start on Sunday. Seahawks at Redskins. The Seahawks, of course, went undefeated at home this season, but they'll be on the road this week. They finished the year winning seven of their last eight games. They put up 58, 50, and 42 points in weeks 14 through 16. The 42 points came, of course, against San Francisco and that vaunted defense. And I said it two weeks ago before we went on our holiday hiatus. Um, or maybe it was three weeks ago. Nonetheless, Pete Carroll, you know, we talk a lot about Jim Harbaugh going to Colin Kaepernick over Alex Smith midseason. What a gutsy, ballsy decision that was, and that's true, it was a tough decision to make, but as I said a couple weeks ago, Pete Carroll going to Russell Wilson in training camp over high-priced free agent Matt Flynn, to me, was just as gutsy, if not a gutsier decision. You know, I mean, that was really ballsy, man. Go with a rookie quarterback, Wilson, over a guy like Flynn, you just brought in, spent a lot of money to bring in? And that's paid off hugely for the Seahawks because Pete Carroll's recognized, and that offense has improved as the years progressed, he's recognized you need a dynamic attack in today's NFL. And the Seahawks could have played it safe. They have one of the best running backs in the business in Marshawn Lynch. They could have just based their offense solely around Lynch, have Flynn in there as a game manager, and try to eke out eight, nine wins and maybe sneak in as a wild card. But no, Carroll said that's not the way to do it. You know, the way to beat the 49ers, for example, will not be handing it to Marshawn Lynch 30 times and having him run right into Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis. No, the way to beat the Niners is to be more diverse on offense. Yes, we still have Lynch. He's still what our offense is based around. But Wilson can make a lot of plays out of the pocket. He has a big arm. We have receivers like Golden Tate and Sidney Rice and Doug Baldwin who can get down the field and exploit some matchups in the secondary. Uh, you know... Carroll has diversified this offense. The Seahawks have a dynamic offensive attack. And it all goes back to the decision to go with Russell Wilson over Matt Flynn in training camp this season. Look at the other side of the field, Mike Shanahan and the Redskins. He's done a great job there, too. Uh, the Redskins, we know the story, were 3-6 and six entering their bye week. Shanahan said, well, now we're going to see who wants to be here. This evaluation period lit a fire under his players. And the Redskins tore off seven consecutive wins to end the season and win the NFC East title. Um, Shanahan has really groomed that offense to his liking. It's spectacular to watch. Alfred Morris is a great running back. Um, but I just love to watch that offense work. I mean, it's predicated upon the great zone blocking schemes that Shanahan was known for in Denver. Uh, you know, great blocking tight ends, wide receivers willing to block. 
quick wide receivers too, like Santana Moss and Pierre Garçon, who Griffin can check down, throw that quick screen pass to defense is expecting run. Quick screen to Moss or Garçon goes for 15, 20 yards. Big play first down. Uh, to me, Shanahan has created an offensive scheme that fits his personnel. Whereas too many coaches try to make the personnel fit the scheme. It's a brilliant job by Shanahan and what he's done this season. And Dan Snyder, for, when in his for once in his life, stepped up, stepped off, you know, stepped away, gave Shanahan a couple of years to work, and now look at the results. They have an NFC title, NFC East title, and the first home playoff game in forever. And Jim Haslett has done a nice job with that defense, too. They've improved as the season has gone along. London Fletcher is an animal. I love him at middle linebacker, a great leader on that team. And uh, D'Angelo Hall, to me, really impressed me last Sunday night, the way he covered Des, Des Bryant all game. Uh, D'Angelo Hall is really one of the legitimate number one shutdown corners in the league, and the importance of that cannot be overstated. Uh, as far as this game on Sunday, not a huge fan of making picks, but I've done it for my other three games, so I might as well throw it out here. I think the Seahawks win this game because the biggest factor to me, and this isn't based off any scientific findings, but Robert Griffin seemed beat up to me on Sunday night. He did. He had a, he had a brace on his leg, ran a little more gingerly than usual, not quite as mobile outside the pocket. Griffin looked beat up to me. He really did. And the Seahawks defense has had success against the Panthers and 49ers this season. Teams that run a similar style of offense to the Redskins, both of quarterbacks like to go outside the pocket and make plays that way. Brandon Browner and Richard Sherman were both playing this game. Sherman won his suspension. Browner's back from his suspension. Those two corners can play one-on-one -on -one with receivers. And that's the key. Because when you have corners like Browner and Sherman, who can play one-on-one -on -one with the receivers on the outside, it frees up the Seattle safeties and linebackers to be able to rush the quarterback, to be able to get to the backfield. Uh, Cam Chancellor will play up close to the line. Bruce Irvin, Chris, Chris Clemens should get to the quarterback as well. We know Pete Carroll can coach defense. It's going to be a great game, a hard-fought game between two sensational rookie quarterbacks. But Griffin's a little beat up. And the Seahawks have had success against similar style of offenses this year. With the way they've been playing, too. I mean, both teams are hot as a pistol heading into the game. But I'd lean Seattle on this one. I would. But it should be a spectacular matchup. No doubt about that. In our second down segment, we look at the biggest off-field NFL story of the week. And this week, it's the NFL coaching carousel. Seven coaches were fired on Black Monday. Chan Gailey in Buffalo, Pat Shermer in Cleveland, Andy Reid in Philadelphia, Romeo Cornell in Kansas City, Norv Turner in San Diego, uh, Levy Smith in Chicago, and Ken Wisenhunt in Arizona. There have been 15 coaching changes, I believe, made over the past 13 months in the NFL. It used to be NFL head coaches got four or five years to build their program. Well, now that's not the case. You get two or three years maximum. And if you don't improve, you're out. Uh, unless, of course, you nerf Turner. Then you can just fully bury that team to the ground before you get the pink slip. Um, but why, why so many coaching changes recently? I mean, half the league pretty much, 15, in just a little over a calendar year. Well, to me, there's a couple things at play here. Number one. NFL owners see that quick turnarounds are very possible in that league. I mean, just look at three rookie quarterbacks, Luck, Griffin, Wilson, all in the playoffs this year. 
Uh, Bill Belichick won a Super Bowl in his second year with the Patriots. Tom Coughlin, in his first handful of years, won a Super Bowl with the Giants and won another one last season. Uh, Levy Smith, in his third season as Bears coach, made it to the Super Bowl. Uh, Mike Tomlin, in his second year, won a Super Bowl with the Steelers. Made it back to the Super Bowl with the Steelers in his fourth year. Quick turnarounds happen in this league now. So NFL owners see that that's possible, and that's why the time span for coaches is shorter. And also, I think maybe even a bigger factor, an equal factor, not necessarily a bigger factor, is the viewing experience at home is so good. The HDTV, the Red Zone Channel, the NFL Package, the viewing experience at home is so good. There is less incentive for fans to get out to the stadium. And in a lot of these cities where the team is limping to the finish line once again to another sub-500 finish, another missed postseason, NFL owners look out of their cushy little, uh, you know, their, their cushy owner's boxes, their luxury boxes, you know, November and December, and see a lot of empty seats. And nothing makes an owner squirm more than empty seats. And you can't fire all the players, at least immediately. So what's the easiest way to uh, fuel a reaction from your fans? Firing the coach. So those to me are a couple of reasons out of many as to why now the lifespan of NFL coaches gets shorter and shorter, more resembling NHL and NBA levels than previous NFL levels. Um, as of this recording, it is rumored that Andy Reid is a strong candidate to take the Arizona job. Coaching's in his blood. He just can't stay away. If Reed has to return this year, I think Arizona is actually a pretty good spot for him. As Ray Horton can still run that defense. I mean, Reed was at his best in Philadelphia, where he could just let Jim Johnson take control of the defense and focus pretty much solely on offense. Once Johnson unfortunately passed and Reed had to get more involved in the defense, you saw how atrocious that Eagles defense had become over the past two seasons. Um, in Arizona, he can let Ray Horton, a skilled coordinator, work with a skilled defensive group, Cornelius Campbell, Patrick Peterson, uh, Patrick Patterson, excuse me, uh, the good core linebackers. The Cardinals have one of the better defense in the NFC, actually, even though they were terrible this year. They statistically had a very good defense. Um, so Reed can just sit back and let Horton and that defense work. He doesn't have to involve himself with the defense, which is for the best. Um, Reed will have a year to work with Kevin Cobb, who he got some results out of in Philadelphia, and then try to draft and or develop his own quarterback. Reed is a bit of a quarterback guru, so that's what he can focus on. The defense is set. They're very good. They'll keep the coordinator. They'll keep the core intact. Andy Reid can focus on the quarterback in the offense, trying to rectify that situation. A bit more of a low-pressure fan base in Arizona than Philadelphia, which I think, after 14 years in Philly, will work to Reed's benefit. I think Arizona, actually, the more I think about it, is a real good spot for Andy Reid. Uh, Chip Kelly is the hot prospect out there. And the NCAA is beginning to investigate Oregon a little bit. So Chip Kelly might do what we call pulling a Pete Carroll and get out of Oregon. And you always ask yourself this question, you know, why would a college coach ever leave to go to the NFL? I mean, you have a job for life. You are beloved at these universities. Why would a big-time Division I college football coach ever leave that to go to the NFL? 
And, you know, I don't think it's that complex an answer. If you're a big-time college coach, you obviously have a massive ego. I mean, you make Donald Trump look like, uh, you know, look like he's humble, right, with your ego. With your ego. When you're meeting with an owner, he's going to offer you five, six, seven million dollars, right? Give you the keys to the franchise. Watch you as the franchise's savior. That's pretty tough to turn down. I mean, it's tempting to try at least once. I mean, Nick Saban, I don't know if he'll ever return to the NFL coaching. He tried it once. It didn't work out. Now he's back at Alabama and the Crimson Tide are, you know, a perennial national title contender every season. So, Saban tried it, didn't work out, now he's back to the college and may not ever leave again. Guy like Chip Kelly, you know, wants to run an offensive play every 13 seconds. He sees variations of his high-powered offense around the league. Seattle, Washington, San Francisco to an extent now, etc. He sees it all across the league. And, I mean, someone's going to meet with him. Jimmy Haslam in Cleveland, you know, has a lot of money to throw around. He's going to meet with Chip Kelly and give him the keys to the franchise. Offer him a boatload of cash. And it's going to be tough for Kelly to turn down. Philadelphia, same thing. I mean, Jeffrey Lurie is rumored to be in on Kelly. He's going to meet with Chip Kelly. Give him the keys to the Eagles franchise. Or, you know, it's it's going to be very tough for him to turn down. Um, Somebody's going to throw a lot of money at Chip Kelly. And I think Chip Kelly's going to take a job. And I like the fact that there's new blood in the NFL. I mean, stop hiring the same old guys. Try some new blood. I'm very curious to see what happens with Chip Kelly. Bill O'Brien with Penn State should generate some interest. That's a very tough situation. Because he's only been on that job for a year. And he recruited all these players to come to Penn State, even with the severe sanctions against them. And then he's going to bolt and leave after just one season? I mean, that's a conversation for a different day. But certainly I should see how that turns out. John Gruden's the wild card. You know, I mean, Bill Cowher the past couple years has been the head coach people think will come back from TV to coaching. Well, Bill Cowher's not rumored this year. I think he's totally comfortable in his gig with CBS. Ron Rivera's holding on to his job, at least as of now, with the Panthers. And Cowher's always been rumored to go to Carolina because he has a home in North Carolina. So, it seems like John Gruden is the guy who everyone is coveting this year. Everyone's waiting for Gruden to return. What's the best spot for Gruden? And I look at John Gruden. I mean, he's a guy who gets up at 3 a.m. still to break down film, which to me actually doesn't say he has coaching in his blood. To me, it says he has a disorder. I mean, really, I think he has a mental disorder to get up at 3 a.m. to break down film. I, I do. I think it says more about that than the fact he has coaching in his blood. I think the guy has something wrong with him. But, in all seriousness, I mean, that's the kind of work ethic that an NFL head coach as successful as Gruden was has to have. I mean, Belichick, all these guys are nuts. They have to be. Um, married to their profession. So, on one hand, you look at Gruden and say, look, I mean, this guy is still getting up in the wee hours of the morning, breaking down film. He is dying to get back into coaching. But then, on the other hand, you look at and you say, you know, I mean, John Gruden has a chance to be this generation's John Madden. And I think that means a lot to him. It would mean a lot to anybody. I mean, John Gruden's in a really powerful position in the NFL from the announcer's booth. He has a p chance to be this generation's John Madden. And I'm sure he's getting paid quite well at ESPN. It's going to take a big offer to get Gruden. My take as of now, and it's certainly 
can change. I'm putting that caveat out there. I don't know if Gruden leaves. I think people are getting ahead of themselves. Uh, last big point I want to make on the coaching carousel. We'll obviously spend more time on this throughout the month and the coming months. There was outrage in Chicago that Levy Smith got fired. The players were outraged. They loved playing for Smith, which speaks well to him. But, you know, Levy Smith had nine seasons there. They were 7-1 and one this year, then collapsed. They were in a similar spot last season. Then Jay Cutler was out for five games, and they collapsed too. The biggest thing with Smith was, the offense was never innovative enough to win. Never was. You know, I mean, I go back to that Monday night football game against the 49ers. Kaepernick's first start, Jason Campbell subbing in for Cutler. And, you know, the Niners pass the ball, have a diverse game plan, a dynamic attack with their backup quarterback at the time in there. And what do the Bears do? They run it. Hand it to Forte 30 times. Send him up the middle to that San Francisco defense. Not the way to win. The offense was never innovative enough with Lovey Smith. And, you know, if I'm hiring a defensive coach like Smith, I need an innovative offensive coordinator. I think Lovey Smith could coach again. Players love playing for him. I think the Bills would be a spot for him. You know, I mean, they hired Chan Gailey, was their last hire, an offensive guy. So you go back to a defensive guy. That defense really underachieved this year with the talent, especially in that front line with Mario Williams, Mark Anderson, all those guys they have there. So, you know, I think Buffalo would be a good landing spot for Smith. But to me, it's pretty simple with the Bears. I mean, they collapsed the past two seasons, going in the wrong direction. Nine seasons is a long time. And the offense was just never good enough under Lovey Smith. And he has to bear the brunt of that blame. Um, I actually don't think, believe it or not, Chicago is that attractive a job for an NFL head coach because I think Philadelphia is more attractive. I think San Diego is more attractive. Hell, I even think Arizona is more attractive. Um, and I say that because, to me, you're in a really tough division in the NFC North. You have Green Bay, Minnesota, Detroit made the playoffs last season. You're in one of the toughest divisions in the league. You have a defense that did lead the, that did lead the league in turnovers this season, but... They're getting older. Brian Urlacher's long in the tooth. Lance Briggs is long in the tooth. Charles Tillman's getting up there in age. So you have a defense that inevitably is going to decline, similar to how Baltimore's defense has declined. And you have a quarterback in Jay Cutler who just isn't going to win. You know, his career quarterback rating is something like 88.1 in that range. He has the big arm, so he's flashy. And he'll make plays that make your jaw drop. But... On a week-in, week-out basis, he's not the answer. But he's your franchise guy with the Bears, for better or for worse right now. So that, to me, is a tough job to get into. Quickly, I was not surprised Rex Ryan wasn't fired. The right move was made. Get the GM Mike Tannenbaum out, the, out of there. Said a few weeks ago, the Jets, I think, need to bring in a full-time football liaison uh, but I'm not shocked Ryan wasn't fired. To me, he's still a good football coach. He's a great defensive mind. His players love playing for him. Uh, he did lead the team to two AFC title games not that long ago. The biggest thing Ryan needs is an offensive guru. He needs an assistant coach, you know, to handle the offense. And to me, North Turner would be a good match there. Um, I am shocked Scott Pioli wasn't fired in Kansas City. You know, I mean... Romeo Cornell, I understand. Chiefs had five Pro Bowlers, which, 
to me, I can't fathom. I mean, people say the Chiefs have this talented roster. I don't know. <laughs> Look at that roster. Really that talented? Come on. I mean, they're, they're better on defense than they should, which is strange with Cornell because he's a defensive guy. But I'm shocked Pioli wasn't fired. I mean, he swung and missed on both of his head coaches, Todd Haley and Cornell. He's run that team with an iron fist, failed on his franchise quarterback, Matt Castle, and then didn't own up to the mistake. Instead, he signed Castle that big extension last offseason. I am flabbergasted, quite frankly, that Scott Pioli wasn't canned on Black Monday. So let's transition to the third down segment. It's the big up slowdown. I see a statement and then say my agreement or disagreement with it by saying big up or slow down. Big up or slow down number one. After another 8-8 eight eight finish and a missed postseason and a failure of epic proportions on Sunday Night Football in Week 17, will the Dallas Cowboys make a change at quarterback or head coach for the 2013 season? Will they make a change? Slow down. They will not make a change for the 2013 season because they have an excuse built in. They can blame injuries. They were they were torn apart defensively due to injuries. I mean, they were on like their fifth, sixth string linebackers. So on defense, they can point to injuries at the end. They can point to injuries to an extent on offense. Miles Austin didn't play last week. Des Bryant was banged up in the fourth quarter. But you look at the Cowboys in the big picture sense, it's another season when the individuals were greater than the sum of the parts. I mean, the defense, with all of that talent, and with Rob Ryan as coordinator, was the 19th ranked defense this year. What's going on with that? I mean, even with the injuries at linebacker, you look at DeMarcus Ware and Anthony Spencer, who did miss time last week, so that's another injuries excuse, but still, Ware. Spencer, Morris Claiborne, Brandon Carr. That is a hell of a base up front and in the secondary. How can that defense not be better than 19th? And this offense was a sixth-ranked offense. I mean, statistically, it was one of the best offenses in the league. Top 10. But how can they come up so small when it matters most? The Cowboys are the quintessential team that, you know, you look at them and say, look, Jason Garrett is not the guy to take this group to the next level. They need a real coach in there. But it's not going to happen. Jerry Jones can control Garrett. Garrett is his puppet. And Jones does not want to relinquish control. So Garrett's going to stay for next season. And as far as quarterback, <laughs> oh, I had a good laugh when Romo threw that interception in the fourth quarter on Sunday, as I think most of the country did. I love seeing the Jets fail, but I think I might like seeing the Cowboys fail even more. Oh, I love it! Another 8-8 eight eight season, Cowboy fans! America's team! Woohoo! Oh, yeah. Awesome. Love it. What a terrible pass that was, huh? I mean, man in his face, and Romo just saw his back foot, threw a pop-up. A little pop-up to the running back. And the Washington linebacker is right there to come up with the interception. Oh, I loved it. A three-interception game for Romo. Two interceptions on the first two Dallas drives. Oh, it was awesome to watch. Loved every minute of it. And it's a cliche now, but it's true. Tony Romo is not wired for the big game. 
And he played well in December this year for the most part. But he couldn't play well when it mattered most. Tony Romo is a 500 quarterback. The Dallas Cowboys are a 500 team. They are what they are. But here's the thing, and here's why Romo's going to stay, at least for this next season. There's no elite prospect in the draft this year. I don't see an elite quarterback out there. And Jerry Jones loves the flash. Tony Romo brings flash. He brings sports center coverage. People are enamored with Romo. Jerry Jones is not willing to get out from under Tony Romo and bring in a blander guy like an Alex Smith. You know, maybe somebody can man. No, no. Jerry Jones is not going to trade in Tony Romo. Romo gets him too much coverage. That's what the Cowboys are addicted to. They must be addicted to something. Because they sure as hell ain't addicted to winning. With the way the past, I don't know, 15, 16 years have gone in Big D. Big up or slow down. The New York Giants had a failure of a season. Missing the playoffs after winning the Super Bowl. Big up. Failure. They won't return to the playoffs to defend their Super Bowl title. And it bit them. And it's actually good to see. You know, throughout the season, myself and many others looked past a lot of the inconsistencies on the Giants. Oh, that's fine. They can lose to the Eagles. They can get crushed by the Bengals. They can get shut out by the Falcons. It's fine. When the time comes, they'll turn it up. And they did win against the Eagles last week, put up 45 points. But guess what? It was too little, too late. They didn't play consistently. And thus, they're watching the playoffs, to paraphrase Ray Lewis, the same place you'll be watching the playoffs. You'll couch. They were crushed by the Ravens in Week 16, which to me was shocking to see. The Giants didn't even show up for that game. And the Ravens at that point were playing horribly. So what went wrong with the Giants? The offensive line struggled. Eli Manning put them in some early deficits. He didn't play as consistently as he could have. They had some injuries on offense. Akeem Nix was hurt. I think that affected them a little bit. The defense then could hone in on Victor Cruz, and he struggled to battle through double teams. As did Jason Pierre-Paul on defense. Jason Pierre-Paul didn't record a single sack in the month of December. I mean, that's huge. That secondary is the weak point of that defense. They needed that defensive line, that defensive front, to really force the issue and generate pressure on the quarterback. And Jason Pierre-Paul and this defensive line underachieved this season. So, from a X and O's perspective, I think that's where the Giants went wrong this year. And I also put some blame on the coach, Tom Coughlin. I think Tom Coughlin's one of the best coaches in the league. But week in and week out, that team was not up to the task. And as I said, it is actually good to see that they couldn't just code in on the post, code into the postseason, sail into the playoffs. No, you got to play week in and week out in this league. And the Giants didn't do it this year, and thus they're missing out on the postseason. The other big coaching news to come out of the league this week is that Sean Payton has signed a five-year contract extension with the New Orleans Saints. Now, the bounty players, of course, Jonathan Vilma, chief among them, didn't miss a single game of action this season. So, big up or slow down. After all the uh, hubbubaloo, <laughs> I love that word, over the bounty gate, over bounty gate uh, 
Roger Goodell's authority took a big hit this season because Peyton will be back. No players missed time. Uh, I say big up here. I mean, the Saints had one down year. There's no doubt. They were affected this year by Peyton's absence. But Sean Peyton will be back next year. He'll be back for five years. Mickey Loomis, the GM, is back. And, you know, a number of weeks ago, about a month and a half, two months ago, I did a show on Sean Peyton. And, you know, I think the uh, sketchy track record he has there in New Orleans with, you know, uh, with the number of scandals, the Vicodin scandal a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, his crony there is in prison now, the illegally selling jerseys and getting access. You know, I, I think there's a lot of dirty stuff in New Orleans. Um, and I think Roger Goodell in his heart of hearts would have liked to look a little deeper into that. But he just didn't have the backing to do so. And he lost out on the Bounty Gate suspensions. Paul Tagliabue, the former commissioner, overruled him. Which showed that if you fight the commissioner's office, if you fight Roger Goodell hard enough, it is possible to win. Goodell said memory is going to void Peyton's contract with Sean Peyton's back up there in New Orleans for five years. So yeah. The Saints had a down year this year. Bounty Gate obviously affected them. And I'm not saying Bounty Gate should forever uh, hamstring that franchise. But long term, not that significant an event in the history of the New Orleans Saints. And I think if Roger Goodell had it his way, it would have been it would have had more of a severe long-term impact. But next year, the Saints will go into the season, got their defense back. Defense didn't miss any time. Got Sean Payton back for five years. Drew Brees is still in the prime of his career. That's going to be a playoff team once again next season. Just one down year. They get a better draft pick this year. Maybe they can draft a defensive player, and off to the races they'll go. Fourth down segment, it's the, big, it's the Reamer rant. Looking at what's been bothering me over the past week in the NFL. A lot of things bother me, but one of the biggest things that bothers me in all sports is uh, professional owners who don't know their boundaries. And this week it's come up that Clark Hunt with the Chiefs is determined to take on a bigger role than the organization. Um, he's not going to fire Scott Pioli, the general manager who has run his team into the ground. No, no. He's going to meddle. In football operations, uh, Clark Hunt is determined to make the Chiefs as dysfunctional as possible. Come on. I mean, this is a guy who's been an absentee owner over the past couple seasons. There is no accountability within that Chiefs organization. It goes back to in October when they uh, you know, were cheering Matt Castle's concussion. And I did a show saying, look, Chiefs fans aren't bloodthirsty savages. They're just frustrated. They're some of the most loyal fans in the entire league, and they haven't won a playoff game since Joe Montana was their quarterback. And Scott Pioli's run that team into the ground. Another horrible season. Clark Hunt's been nowhere to be found. And they were just, they're just frustrated. They need a release. And now what do they get? The poor fans of Kansas City. They get Clark Hunt declaring he is going to meddle in the football operations. Oh, yeah. That's the way to attract a guy like Chip Kelly? Come to Kansas City, where the know-nothing owner is going to meddle directly into the football operations. Woo-wee! Sign me up for that. Terrible situation there. Owners need to learn their place and entrust the right people to run the football operations. Robert Kraft does it perfectly here in New England. And he learned. You know, I mean, in the beginning of Kraft's ownership... 
he butted heads with Parcells, you know, and then what did we get? We got Pete Carroll. And Robert Kraft learned. He said, oh, God, <laughs> can't have this. I'm going to step back and let the football people do what they do. And now he has Bill Belichick, and we all know the story. The easiest way to a dysfunctional franchise is an owner who meddles. We look at the Cowboys. We just spoke about them a few minutes ago. And now the Chiefs are going to have that. They need a lot of things. But the last thing they need is Clark Hunt getting his hands on the football operations. Sorry, Chiefs fans. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Football Nation Today podcast. Big edition, big show after a one-week holiday hiatus. Enjoy the games this weekend. As always, if you want to get in touch with me, send me an email. areamer at bu.edu is my email address. Also, feel free to follow me on Twitter. At AlexReamer1 is my Twitter name. Thank you all for a great year last year. We had a great start to the podcast. Looking forward to an even better and bigger 2013. And the year is off to a great start with the Wild Card Weekend this weekend. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. Also, last show, we got some good comments on the show page of footballnation.com. So as always, feel free to leave your comments about anything we discussed within the show. So long. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on Football Nation today, next Wednesday.